Fear is actually a power that can grip your soul. It will battle for control of your mind and of your heart. Now, if fear were simply a, an emotion, we could ignore it. But the problem is that it is a debilitating power. Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. And Colin, when we recognize that we're struggling with fear, what do we do? How do you fight fear? Well, you have to exercise faith. But first, recognizing that fear is a power is enormously important. I learned that from reading uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Fear is like a mighty power that comes against you and almost as if it would grip your throat. Anyone who experiences the struggle with fear knows exactly what that is. And it's not just a feeling. It is a power. And because it's a power, you have to fight against it as in the same way as you would as if a person was physically attacking you. You have to push them off. And that's what faith does. Faith lays hold of Jesus Christ, affirms confidence in Jesus Christ, looks up to God and fights fear by exercising faith. We're going to look at exactly how we do that in today's message. Join us in Matthew chapter 14 as we continue Destructive Fears. Here's Pastor Colin. I love the story of the man with the withered hand. Remember in the gospel, Jesus said to him one thing, stretch out your hand. What an amazing thing to say to a man who can't move his hand. It's the one thing all his life he hadn't been able to do. But when Jesus said to him, stretch out your hand, the Bible simply says, and he stretched out his hand. For when Christ told him to do it, he imparted with the command the ability to fulfill it. So Peter, understanding this, says, Jesus, if you tell me to come to you, then I indeed will be able to walk on the water. Tell me. And Jesus says, verse 29, come. And all credit to Peter. This is one of the highest moments of his faith. He stakes everything on the word of God. He knows the law of gravity. But he hears the call of Jesus. Jesus said it. I believe it. That settles it. I'm off. He gets out the boat. And he walked on the water, verse 29, towards Jesus. What a moment. He discovers that the power of Christ takes him beyond the level of his own ability so that he can obey the word of God in a way that would otherwise be impossible for him. There is another great picture of the Christian life. The Christian life is beyond my natural ability. But Christ gives the power with the command. Well, the command of Jesus makes what was impossible possible for Peter, and he walked on the water. That's faith. Faith that's rooted in the Word of God and is energized by the power of the Spirit. And then the fear factor kicks in. Verse 30. When Peter saw the wind, he was afraid. That's when he began to sink. And I want to ask the question very simply and very practically then, how are we to overcome the fear factor in our walk of faith that is a response to the word of God that Jesus brings to us? And I want to identify three very simple things from this story. The first is that it's very important to recognize the power of fear. 
You see, fear is actually a power that can grip your soul. It is a power that will fight against faith within you. It will battle for control of your mind and of your heart. Now, if fear were simply an emotion, we could ignore it. But the problem is that it is a debilitating power. Remember Jesus' story about the man who was uh, servants who were given talents to invest for the use of a master, and the third one wasted his opportunity. And remember the reason? He said, I was afraid. Fear kept him from doing anything useful with the opportunity and the commission of his life. Remember how the fear factor kicked in in the Old Testament when God's people were on the verge of the land of Canaan. The spies were sent out by Moses. They walked through the land and they saw the strength of the enemy. And by the time they came back, 10 of them had been overwhelmed by the fear factor. Now, let me say straight away that some of us will have greater lifelong battles with this one than others. Some of us are more timid by temperament than others. And being born again will not change that. When you become a Christian, you still have to live with yourself. And if you can define your own temperament, you will have defined the primary battlegrounds on which you will fight throughout your Christian life. If you are of a nervous disposition, this will be one of your greatest areas of struggle. God will help you in the battle, but this is where the battles will be fought. You will say more than other people, what if? And especially at night, your imagination will paint all kinds of scenarios that your husband or your wife will say, oh, don't worry about that. It may never happen, but you are worried about it. Paul had a young assistant in the New Testament by the name of Timothy. He was gifted by God, but he was of a timid temperament. He served as a pastor very, very effectively, but throughout his life, this was his primary area of battle. Paul had to say to him, Timothy, God did not give us a timid spirit, but remember that the spirit he gave us is one of power and love and of a sound mind. That's why Paul says in Romans, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but that you have received the spirit of sonship, enabling you to call out Abba, Father. Some of us will struggle in this area more than others, but all of us at some point will experience the inner struggle of faith and fear. Peter was by no stretch of the imagination a timid person. But he came to experience the fear factor right at the heart of this story. Now, what makes you afraid? Is it the whole terrorism thing? Is it the economy? You say, oh yes, I trust in Jesus Christ, but now there's this thing. Is it your fear of failure? You're afraid of looking foolish. And that makes you hold back from what God is calling you to do. 
You're dead scared of the power of sin and temptation within you. It seems so overwhelming. You think, can I really live the Christian life? You're afraid of the future primarily? You're afraid of loss? Is that the thing that grips you? Oh, what if I don't have? See, fear is a mighty power, and it battles to grip your mind and your heart, and if you allow it to do so, it will paralyze your progress in faith. So if we're ever going to make progress, and for some of us this is the primary area of battle, we need to know how to deal with this enemy. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and a message called Destructive Fears. Open the Bible is able to remain online and on the radio because of your generosity. We want to send you Pastor Colin Smith's book, Six Hours That Changed the World, as a thank you for your regular monthly donation of £5 or more. Colin, how could someone best use this book? Well, the six hours that changed the world, of course, are the six hours that Jesus was hanging on the cross. And during that time, he spoke seven times. And each time he spoke, he gave an insight into what he was actually doing on the cross. So one way in which this book could be used is that you could read one of the sections in each of the seven days leading up to Easter. And that would take you into the heart of what Jesus was doing on the cross, what he accomplished, why he was there, and what difference it makes for you. And for families, this would be very simple. It would take about five minutes to read one of these sections. You could do that each day in the week leading up to Easter, and it would really help all of your family to see what it was that Jesus accomplished on the cross and why it changes everything for all who believe. Well, Colin's book is called Six Hours That Changed the World, and we'd like to send you a free copy as a thank you gift for your regular donation of £5 per month or more. You can find details of this offer and how to make your donation on our website, OpenTheBible.org.uk. Again, here's Pastor Colin. See, fear is a mighty power and it battles to grip your mind and your heart. And if you allow it to do so, it will paralyze your progress in faith. So, if we're ever going to make progress, and for some of us, this is the primary area of battle. We need to know how to deal with this enemy. So let me suggest to you, secondly, that as we recognize the great power of fear, that we grasp the logic of faith. Now notice what it says in verse 30. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. When he saw the wind. Now it's very interesting that Peter felt he could trust to a point. He felt that he could trust the Lord to suspend the laws of gravity. But he wasn't so sure when he felt the wind blowing. Now, don't you think there's something profoundly illogical here? Think about it. I trust Jesus Christ to suspend the laws of gravity, but only when the weather's good. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. 
If Peter can trust Jesus to the point of stepping out in defiance of gravity on the basis of his word, why is he so worried about the wind? Now, I found it profoundly helpful to ask myself again, even in this last week, some basic questions about my own faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to ask you these questions, and I want you to answer aloud. Yes, if you are able to respond positively to these questions. Okay, so everybody awake. These are not rhetorical questions that are coming up. I'm asking you about your conviction on the following points. Number one. Can you trust Jesus Christ to blot out every one of your sins by the power of his blood? Answer? Yes. Here's another question. Do you believe that at the point of your death, Christ will bring your soul immediately, consciously, and joyfully into the presence of God? Answer? Yes. Third question. Can you trust Jesus Christ? Now think about this. To raise your body if it were decayed by a hundred years of rotting in the ground from the grave and give you a transformed body that is adapted for everlasting life. Answer? Now listen, if you can trust him to save you like that, because what you've just confessed you believe is far, far, far greater than suspending the laws of gravity, can you not trust him to keep you? If you can trust him to redeem you, can you not trust him to provide for you? If you can trust him to usher you into everlasting life, can you not trust him to bring you safely through the struggles of this life? And to use one of my favorite Americanisms, go figure. (laughs) Years ago, I heard a pastor who's now with the Lord preach a wonderful sermon on the first line of Psalm 23 that almost all of us will know well. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he called it the logic of faith. was his message. The Lord is my shepherd... I shall not want. That's the logic of faith. If he is my shepherd, if my whole life and my eternity has been trusted into his care, if I have trusted him with the greatest issues of my life, of forgiveness and of eternity, of resurrection itself, then I shall not want. I may go through all kinds of storms, but having trusted him in this, in what can I not trust him? The logic of faith. Can you grasp it? Can you grasp it? Can you teach that to your own soul? And then here's the very last thing this morning. Practice the discipline of worship. 
Remember that up to verse 30, Peter's attention has been focused on Jesus. He's been watching Jesus walk on the water towards him. He's been listening to the command of Jesus, come. He has been stepping out of the boat in a risky initiative of obedient faith. He has been walking by faith in the Son of God, and everything has been focused on Jesus. But now we're told in verse 30, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. That's when he began to sink. You see what happened? Very simply, as long as his attention was taken up with his glimpse of Jesus Christ, he had the ability and the power to fulfill the command that Jesus was giving to him. His faith prevailed. But when his mind became full of the strength of the wind, the height of the waves, the difficulty and the danger of the situation into which Jesus had called him, then he began to sink. Now, there are many ways in which you can describe this wonderful gift that God has given to us that we call worship. But here is one that I think gets to the heart of it that I have found most helpful. That worship is the gaze of a soul upon Jesus Christ. I take that definition from Psalm 27 and verse 4, where you have that great prayer of David that he longs for one thing that he would ask of the Lord. He wants to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life for this purpose, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. That's the very heart of worship. David knew what it was for his soul to catch a glimpse of the glory of the Lord he could not see with his eyes. And he knew that he couldn't live on an occasional experience like that, that he couldn't have a lively faith in this troubled world merely on a recollection of having glimpsed Jesus by faith once or twice. He longs that he should day by day have that opportunity of getting, as it were, that fresh view of Jesus, like turning the corner as you're driving through the hillsides and you're getting a fresh glimpse of the beauty and the glory of the Lord who is your Savior. Of course, this is why the worship of heaven will be so rich, because we will have a clear and an uninterrupted view of Jesus. And in the Psalms, David is longing for that in advance. It's what Peter got in advance when he glimpsed something more of the glory of Jesus. This is what worship is all about. What are we trying to do fundamentally when we gather here on Sunday mornings? What should we seek as we come before the Lord and open his word at home day by day to gain a fresh glimpse of Jesus? And why do we need that? Because that is how faith is renewed and how faith is sustained. So we come here today from the pressures of the week. We've been seeing the waves. We've been observing, as it were, and feeling the strength of the wind. And we've come because that is erosive to us to intentionally direct the gaze of our attention towards Jesus Christ. And when we see him clearly in his word, and as we lift our hearts to view him with the eyes of the inner being, our faith is strengthened. So when we sing a hymn, 
The point as I read the words and I enter into the music is that I look to get a glimpse of Jesus. That's how it'll become meaningful to me. It's the point of reading the Bible and explaining it in the sermon. Why? Because we're looking to catch a fresh glimpse of Jesus in his word. That's a good Sunday where you say, you know, Jesus is more wonderful and fresher than I'd seen or known. That's what the offering is all about. It's a reminder to us of the self-giving of Jesus and a reminder to us that he's provided for me in another week. And the choir sings, the words and the music have helped us to think already this morning about Jesus. He's my Redeemer and he lives. And when we come to pray, we're saying in that very act, here's all our problems, O Lord, and you're bigger than them all. True worship brings Jesus into view. Now, throughout this series, we have seen that it's important to understand how we should respond to each of these varieties of doubt. And last week, we saw that when you have doubts that come from disappointed hopes or a broken heart, the discipline of honest confession is very, very helpful. Pour it all out before God. Let me suggest to you that when it comes to fear, the prescription is very different. Because if you take all your fears that you can possibly imagine and you turn your prayer time into pouring all of them out before God, do you know what your prayer time will become? It'll be an exercise in worrying on your knees. And that's no good. It'll help you not one bit. So here's the prescription where we struggle with fear. Stop looking at it and get your eyes fixed on Jesus. And that's what worship is all about. That's why you need it. That's why we must bring Jesus into view. We are to fill our minds, not with the waves, but with the greatness and the power and the glory and the beauty of the Savior until we come to the point where we say, I can trust him even in this kind of a wind. And that's exactly what Peter did. He became afraid. He was beginning to sink, but he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? The marvelous thing is that the security of Peter doesn't depend on the strength of his faith, but on the strength of the hand of Jesus who catches him. Charles Price has made a wonderful comment with which I close. The waves, he says, that threatened to be over Peter's head were under Jesus' feet. Don't you love that? And what is it that threatens to be over your head? It's under Jesus' feet. Well, this is Pastor Colin, and I hope that today's message is a help and an encouragement to you in facing and overcoming your fears. Thank God that what threatens to overwhelm you is under the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, I want to give you this scripture. It is from Psalm 34. It has been an immense help to me, especially at times when I have found the power of fear almost seeming to get its hand, as it were, around my throat. And I've needed to fight it off and I've needed to look to the Savior. And here's what it says in Psalm 34. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. That's a great statement. And then here's what the psalmist says. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces are never covered with shame. So that's what we've been learning today. You look to him and that's the place where he delivers you from your fears. Because what threatens to be overwhelming to you is under the feet of your saviour, Jesus Christ. For Pastor Colin Smith and Open the Bible, I'm David Pick, and I hope you'll be able to join us next time. Open the Bible is a listener-supported production. Doubt is not something that you experience once in the Christian life and then you're done with it. Find out why next time on Open the Bible. From the beginning of May, you can hear something new on the Open the Bible website. It's Sue McLeish reading Pastor Colin Smith's short daily devotionals. Those devotionals begin each day for me, and honestly, I wouldn't be without them. Their content never fails to open up a valuable word from the Bible, which very often will meet a need either in my own circumstance or in that of someone I'm praying for. (laughs) Though the devotionals are short... There's always a message to hold on to and to take with you into the day. You can find these new devotionals on our website, openthebible.org.uk, starting on May the 1st.